0: This episode is brought to you by Bululu Studios, a small event space located in Savannah, Georgia, at 3131 Bull Street. For more information, please go to bululustudios.com. That's (laughs) B-U-L-U-L-U-studios.com. Hello, this is Kevin. Thank you for listening to The Ten Frame. In this episode, I have a conversation with Carol Santos at her studio in Atlanta, Georgia. She's a multidisciplined artist and educator living and working in Atlanta. She was born and raised in Brazil, and the tight relationship that she has with her family is the foundation of her creative output. Carol is currently creating a body of work during a residency at Chateau Dorcavu. This is a beautiful historical landmark that's located just a few hours east of Paris. You can stay up to speed with her work by going to carolsantosarts.com. And to learn more about my own work, follow me on Instagram at Kevin Wilpaint. And while you're there, check out Kelly's artwork at Kelly K. Thompson Art. Hi, Carol. Thank you very much for spending time with me, and I look forward to learning more about your work.
1: Thank you. This is so exciting.
0: You're welcome. Right off the bat, let's tell everybody where they can find you online.
1: All right. So my handle on Instagram is at CarolAtlantaArt. And then I have a website, carolsantosarts.com. All
0: right. So what do you make?
1: I make a lot of stuff. I get bored. Mm -hmm. So I started with painting. I've always painted since I was a kid. Went to art school. um, But... More of the traditional, you know, um, still life, landscaping, things like that. And it was not until SCAD, where I met you, Mm -hmm. um, that I saw the opportunities that I could paint without a canvas or without a brush. So I do sculpture, I do textile work, paintings still, a lot of conceptual Mm -hmm. art, installations, a little bit of everything.
0: What's your favorite or what are you into today or these these this segment of your life
1: yeah i'm in a little limbo right now i guess it's like there's all this rush to graduate it and do the mfa show and Uh. then i had another show after that and now it's like this pause Mm -hmm. and i have two solo shows coming up one in brazil in april and one here in atlanta the Hudson center in august so I have all of these ideas that I want to implement, and I don't seem to be able to focus enough mm-hmm. to kind of produce any of them, just right. because life. Yeah. Um, what
0: do you want to What do you want to see at the show in Brazil?
1: So, I've, well, one thing that I'm close to start producing is so backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. My work is mostly about childhood memories, okay. and. Um, family traditions preserving oral history all of those things that you know I grew up with in Brazil and then for me it's important for my children to be able to experience that somehow and know how was life there because they are being raised in the U.S. we don't have any family here I want them to you know have that feel of what it was being raised with 32 cousins uncles and aunts and everyone dropped by unannounced and, and all that like family thing
0: How many siblings do you have? I
1: only have one. Yeah, and we're super close. We talk every day. But uh-huh. we had our entire family is in the same hometown since they immigrated from Europe. I'm the first one to leave. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I went to school with some of my cousins. When I started dating my husband, I would get home, and then my dad would be like, "How was the movie?" And I would ask, "How do you know it was at the movies?" One of my cousins had seen me, and uh, you know,
2: yeah,
1: I saw her at the movie. So it's like that. Uh, I don't know, that constant sharing, connecting. Mm -hmm. They have here, my kids have here, with friends that became family. But they don't have with, like, an uncle, a grandma, you know? Anyway, so...
0: And you're trying, not trying, you are integrating that kind of concept or that ideal into your work, getting your kids and family involved into it sometimes, Yes,
1: sometimes they participate in my work, sometimes. uh, So a lot of the work, it's either inspired by a memory, an experience from childhood, from living in Brazil, or it is a replication of an experience. Um, Back in the pandemic, I did um, beet juice with my two daughters Mm -hmm. on our kitchen, and I recorded, I documented, and I have all of this work that was the base for much larger body of work using beet juice. And the beet juice relevance is that my grandma made beet juice for us. And it was that thing of like shredding the carrots, shredding the beets, squeezing mm-hmm. the orange, like that memory. So it was really cool to see that translated into an experience that they're going to remember now. Right. Um, so one of the things that my dad used to make for us was kites. And we didn't grow up with video games or anything. My parents were believers that you go out during the day and you come back before dark and that's it. And my dad would drive us to this farm where one of us would be in the lookout, mm-hmm. and he literally would climb over the fence and steal a few bamboos, and like that huge thing coming, like the bam- like maybe I don't know eight feet of bamboo on top of the car, and it would go home, and he would like slice and thin it out to make like the little uh, sticks that would be the frame for. The kite. kites, yes, and then tissue paper and all of that, and then he made a kite machine that was almost like a winding to hold mm. the tread for, okay. and he ended up making it for the entire neighborhood because yeah. we all love it. So this is one of the works I'm working on now. I was in Brazil in November, just mm-hmm. before Thanksgiving, and my dad and I went through the process of making a kite. So, so we made a little kite and my idea, which reminds me a little bit of your installations because yeah. I want kites to be all white.
0: Oh, right, right, and I yeah. want
1: to install them starting from, you know, um, the show is going to be at a museum that it's called The Glass House mm-hmm. because all the walls are glass to the outside. So the yeah. light is amazing. Right. And I want to make the kites going from the stairs up, up right. and onto the sky and going through all the whole thing. And that is going to become a um, workshop for the museum because they have a lot of schools visiting. So Hmm. you need to have some of educational uh, aspect to it. Yeah. And then I wanted to do the event where we fly the kites and fill out the sky with poetry. So when you make a kite, you write a word or a message or something, then we all fly them together. That's cool. Yeah, that's the idea.
0: I like it. So I, this podcast it tends to go um, in different directions, mm-hmm. and I welcome that, right? All right. So, my when you started mentioning kites, so I went to Colombia, uh, Barranquilla. Mm-hmm. The the Magdalena River is mm. in the north side of Colombia, mm-hmm. and and there's all these older guys that walk out onto the jetty, and they have these makeshift kites, mm-hmm. and they're usually like maybe six inches by ten inches or something mm-hmm. like that and they're made with sticks, but they use them as fishing tools. Yes, they, is that what? I've seen that. Okay, R- right, so that's that's where my head went when you brought up the, the kites.
1: Um, I like, I should put that in my research. And then it's like, you know how you think you have this idea, and when you think that you have this idea, and you're so excited, and I'm like, I'm gonna go and do it, and then you start research, and you see that it has been done right. many, many times in other variations and forms. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea of the kite for years, like even in SCAD for trying to paint, trying to replicate, trying to sculpt. And it finally came to me like, let's do actual kites. Why complicate it, you know? Mm-hmm. And November when I was there, I did it with my dad. And then the last day I was in Brazil, into went to the Sao Paulo Baeno Art, Art biennial. Mm-hmm. And what did I see there? Kites. An installation of kites yeah. from this Mexican artist mm-hmm. that, it's pretty awesome, but I, ha- I didn't know him. Yeah. And do you know like the milk cartons with the photos of people who are yeah. missing? Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same idea, but he put it on kites of people that were missing. Right. And it was flying this kite kind of like a SOS sign, like let's do this. And I walk in, I'm like, <sighs> but it's, I, I guess there's no original idea, right? So I, I like your, your input to maybe research more
0: maybe i i what what i found interesting with those fishermen is they were mm-hmm. humble there was no i mean they're fishing with a hook that's tied to a string tied to a, a plastic kite that mm-hmm. they made and i i really appreciated that uh, and they had these makeshift camps on the jetty and my other thought about doing installation work and you realize that other people maybe are doing the same thing i i Comfort myself because I'm an installation artist. Mm-hmm. or I, I consider myself to be one. And if I had, if I kept that frame mind that oh, or if it was discouraging that oh, mm-hmm. there's painters, right? Yes, there's abstract painters. There's
1: and and I think there's um, I think there's two ways of looking at it. There is the everyone is doing the same thing, so it's like the trendy thing to do. Yeah, but there's also I believe in this like connection of things that are going around the world and affect people in different way. And I think COVID was a big example of that, how people start doing similar things all over the world without even knowing each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just that vibe, that energy that goes like, what do you do in a situation like X? And sometimes the response is going to be the same because we're all humans, you yeah. know? So I, I guess sometimes for me, the, the artwork being um, duplicated maybe, By other artists or being done at the same time, it's just a matter of like, okay, we think alike, and yeah. If
0: your intention is to, I mean, I guess you could just identically rip somebody off, yes. But I don't think that's what you're doing, and I think that's more to the point. You know, if you're coming from an honest point, even if you are saying I'm going to rip these people off, Mm -hmm. that's a form of art as well. Yeah, but. I think that's not the intention here. So I, I think it's great. I mean, it's your hand is going to be there and it's going to be yeah. wonderful. And so. my dad's hand, yeah. which I'm so excited. That's and then my kids special.
1: and my dad made a lot of stuff for us. He did uh, streetcars using uh, wheelbarrows that are part of like cars. And those were mm-hmm. the the wheels. I'll show yeah. you before you can't, go because yeah, I have a, yeah, two. It's awesome. In, yeah. Um, and he ended up making for the entire neighborhood too. And it was just like plywood two by fours or two by ones, whatever. And it's like, we, oh my God, we played that so much. just like, yeah. go down the hill, go again, go mm-hmm. down the hill, go again. It was like a whole day.
0: So you're going to replicate that? I'm Is trying that,
1: to figure out how to replicate that. I have an unfinished painting of mm-hmm. the streetcars that I don't love it. And it's just there, sitting there for like the last three years. I mm-hmm. don't know what to do with that. So it's kind of like a process, like how to, there was one class we took, um, I don't know if you did that, but like I a class I took that was pivotal for me. Mm, which one? It was with Todd Schroeder. Yeah, same. And it was conceptual art. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I can do other things than painting. Mm-hmm. Because I was so stuck on this thing that MFA in painting and I had to be a painter. And I have twenty years of marketing before that. So mm. to get over the the thing of you have to be unique in advertising, you have to be the first one to do like It was so hard to, like, original idea. Yeah. And Todd kind of... Because
0: in marketing, you probably want to not have original ideas unless they're, like, astronomically crazy idea, you know. But for the most part, I think if you're trying to sell something, maybe I'm wrong, but you would probably want to stay in the mainstream because that's what the mainstream is buying there
1: yes and the trendy and you yeah. know and getting over the fact that i am painting for myself or i'm mm-hmm. creating for myself i'm telling my story so i don't need to cater to an audience because i was well in a way mm-hmm. but in my mind was like okay if i paint this i think red is more trendy right now and it's going to sell more mm-hmm. and i was with the mindset of commercial which is also a valid way of you know Developing art. It was just not what I wanted. And then Todd in his class was so inspiring and mentoring a way of showing you can do that or you can experiment with other things. You can tell mm-hmm. your story in other ways. You don't need to be on a canvas. Yeah. And oh my God, that was like, ah. Yeah, it was great. It was yeah.
0: same with me.
1: And oh. then I ended up going back to another class of his after that because he suggested get the independent study. That way you can develop whatever you want and Mm -hmm. I'll be here to guide. And it was just a continuation of that. And then it was just like, yay, I feel free now. Do I sell my art? Not as much as I would like. Um, Probably, I don't think my art is something to be hanging over the couch. You know, like installations. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be seeing the chances of seeing an installation in someone's house are slim. Not impossible. But that's more of like a public place, uh, a museum, an institution, mm-hmm. something that, you know, we would speak to millions of people, probably.
0: Yeah, it's a tricky lane
1: to walk down. Yes, that's why <laughs> I teach too. Yeah, because right. you know, how to reconcile that, like, I, I, and I guess all artists, most artists start like that, where mm-hmm. you have a job that pays the bills that, you know, that's how you of survive course. as a human, we're adults. What but, do
0: you teach? I didn't know
1: that. I'm teaching painting, but it's in an art center. I do it at Abernath Art Center here in in Sand Springs. And Mm -hmm. I did a few classes at uh, Chastain Art Center, which is the oldest art center in Atlanta. Nice. And that is uh, maintained by the city of Atlanta. So that's what I've been doing because it allows me the flexibility to have time for my practice, still be a mom, Mm -hmm. still drive kids, you know, take care of the house and do all the things that we need to do as humans. Yeah. Um, I debate a lot about maybe teaching college level, but I don't know if I, at this point in my life with younger kids, can commit to that. That's
0: okay. Yeah. You'll you'll figure everything out in time, I think. I think so, too. Okay. I want to learn more about Brazil, but could you maybe talk a little bit about the places that you grew up?
1: Yeah. So, I grew up in a large city Kind of like Metro Atlanta, the name is Campinas. It's in the state of São Paulo, and we are an hour away from São Paulo city. So, we had about four million people in my hometown.
0: What was the what was the economic force in that space?
1: There is a lot of industry in the. It's it's funny because suburbs in Brazil it's more of the surrounding the edge of the city. So that is more the industrial area instead mm-hmm. of like where you go live with a family in a nice yeah, house. Sure. Um, so there was a, some industry in there. In the old, old, old days was more of a sugarcane and coffee uh, farmland.
0: Is it inland or is it on the river? It's, or on the it's inland, okay. not
1: inland. We we're three hours away from the coast. Okay. Uh, but it became more of a research uh, high-tech yeah, an educational city. So there's a ton of universities. I grew up in a house across the street from the university campus, oh. and that was our backyard. So it was funny because middle school, I mean, sixth grade, I didn't go to my local library or to my...
0: You went to the universities.
1: Yes, yeah. like a five-star building, central library, and... Uh, that was some experience, you know. Yeah. It's like you were there with other college students. I couldn't check out books because I wasn't a student at the university, but mm-hmm. I, we could make Xerox copies at, back then. Yeah. So um, that was interesting. And a lot of professors lived there with their families. My mom worked in um, um, kind of the MIT of Brazil. She was yeah. in administrative capacity, but our friends growing up were her friends from work that, you know, she worked there for 30 years, were all professors, researchers, people with PhD. Um, we hosted a number of um, researchers coming on, you know, an Istipan and like a grant that was small and they don't have enough money to pay for rent. So they would come and live with us. So that mm-hmm. was very interesting. Uh, growing up, it was kind of like before internet, my parents didn't, I, my parents don't like travel, they're homebodies, but mm-hmm. it was like a way of exposing us to the world, you know, right on. But like an example, for instance, when I was in art school, this was my extracurricular activity okay. growing up. Yeah. Since I was six, I had first a private teacher that would come to the house. Then I shared a teacher with my neighbor, who went on to have a PhD in art. Um, he's a professor at university. So like we always had. And then I was accepted at the same school that he was accepted for art school. Nice. Um, and you progressed from graphite to charcoal to pastel pastel was very expensive back then Mm -hmm. and you know comes from france and whatever so one of the researchers coming from frankfurt was gonna have a layover in france and that's who brought me my first pastel set and i have it to this day then it was like contemporary and like this is the thing like i would not be able to have had that if it wasn't my mom working in a place where it was so internationally connected um And other things like bring me paper from overseas, you know, things that we can buy online today. Yeah. There was one art store in my hometown and it was like, when we would go there, we would go and buy the big sheets of paper, Fabriano or Verger for texture. And we would cut that like eight.
0: And share it. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I get it.
1: Because it was expensive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many I have in my studio today that like, it's just not there that cheap but it's much more accessible i guess
0: yeah that's an interesting perspective i
1: I guess also like there's the connection because my work i think like the reason why i do a lot of the childhood memories it's because of my children Mm -hmm. it's also i like that but also for
0: What, what do you mean by that
1: i mean i like to there's the nostalgic feeling of you know remembering things that were good and they're longing for you know I would love to re- relieve that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you know I can not move on to the future, it's just like this nice memory. I think it's like the base of who I am.
0: It's like a snapshot <clears throat> in time, is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, exactly, like a, yeah.
1: exactly. And it's like, a good, you know, there are bad moments of course, everyone goes through a lot. It's not all happiness. Yeah. But even those, it's like, you know, the little things that make who you are and that reflects in the work. Uh, but for me, is like for someone who doesn't know my story, who doesn't know who I am, how can they connect the work? And a lot of the experiences that I explore, people have gone through. There's a um, paper mache sculpture that I did, and it's painted with beet juice, mm-hmm. beet pigment, and linseed oil, and it's literally a beet that it's like a vessel, and there are six smaller beads three inside the vessel, three outside. Mm-hmm. And it's about miscarriages, about loss. Um, I went through three miscarriages. I have three kids, so that's the example, but it's I'm-
0: difficult times, I can imagine.
1: It is, but I, a lot of people just hold on to it and don't share with other people. Like miscarriage it's such a controversial um, subject still. Yeah. And when you go through one and you're like, yeah, we lost a baby. There's like three people in the room like, yeah, we too. And we're like, oh, my God, why are we not talking about this? Why yeah. are we not, you know, trying to make it easier? And, I, and it's private. I know a lot of people here in the U.S. won't tell that they are pregnant until the 12 weeks come because it's safe or whatever. In Brazil, you are like from the bathroom, say, to the world, you know. <laughs> and to me, it's like, that's very personal. To me, it's like I want to share with people because if I go through something that it's rough, I want my group of people, my village, to be there to carry me out, yeah. you know?
0: I think that's that's the obligation. I, everybody can have their own interpretation or how they want to present their work or in, interpret it, but I think as an artist, it's our obligation to speak, you know, to say our voice and mm-hmm. share our experiences because in my world, that the reciprocant, the reciprocant if I'm saying that right, um, that's my audience, the people that have those similar experiences, mm-hmm. if it's a miscarriage or losing loved ones or the joys of life, whatever it is. I think that's what I'm trying to convey in my story. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with your you're trying to tap into that yes. ra- rawness or whatever.
1: Yes, because it's not all like great memories about flying kites yeah you know yeah. um but that is specific work it's one that i get the most response when i have in shows i have people coming to me and privately saying you made me cry because it's not just the sculpture the sculpture itself you look and you're like hmm, okay but then i also wrote a text yeah. about my grandma living in the tenement building mm-hmm. no water no electricity my mom ma- my grandma and my grandfather and they had 11 pregnancies. She miscarried four. At that time, you didn't go to the hospital. You had the local dola that would come and help. It was a neighbor or something. But they lived in a two-room apartment. And my mom is the youngest, so she's the youngest of 11. And they lived in the tenement building for four more years after my mom was born. So that was 24 years in the same building. And wow. They had miscarriage. My mom had miscarriage, and my mom lost a uh, baby during delivery. Mm-hmm. And my sister, Marina, who was younger than me, and that's why my daughter is named Marina. But, like, we don't talk about that. When I miscarriage the second time, my mom was here. My husband was in Korea for work, and I took a cab to the hospital yeah. to take care of it. And My mom yeah. stayed home with the baby. So we don't talk about that, but I was trying to draw a parallel. A parallel. It's
0: such a, that's an interesting, powerful story. Yes. <laughs> mm. um, it's a lot of weight. I would it imagine. is, yeah. it is.
1: But like three generations of similar experience in different scenarios, like it was super hard for me, mm-hmm. but I had the best healthcare could help. Yeah. I had my husband by my side, like in minutes. And well, when he was in Korea, it was the next day, but mm-hmm. like, I was able to hear we had so much um support now we have we talk about a lot more. You can go to the therapist if you yeah. want. You have people to talk to. Back then it was just like you know
0: it's reality. It's, it's reality. The it
1: and then I recorded that text in a cassette tape like the old cassette player like with the stop and play, stop and play uh in my voice and my daughter's voice. So it ties in another generation and then it gives me goosebumps just to mm-hmm. listen to her voice talking about my grandma, which would be her great grandma, and telling the story of her and how that. So, um, back to connections. That is a work of mine. That it's simple. Like you look at it first time, and you're like, oh, it's just a sculpture, red. I wouldn't have in my house. But then when you tap in in the whole background story, mm-hmm. I had. It's one of the people connect the most.
0: It's because of the friction. Yes. You know, and that's what's.
1: But then. I guess like part of the work as artist is like it's to shock sometimes. Mm. It is to create the uncomfortable yeah. you know environment where it will force people to reflect, to talk about it, to discuss things and maybe, you know, face their own fears or traumas and I think art is that. Well, art talk is- about it.
0: Like what you were saying, it's important for people to talk about it. Yes. I want to learn more about what your studio sounds like or maybe the the ambient noise that you choose to listen to.
1: Yes. It goes right back to your original question that I deviated from. It's the the music. Okay, yeah. So I always have sound on when I'm in the studio. And either I am listening to a book or I'm listening to most often, 80% of the time, Brazilian music. There's a... Jera, Jera... Genre, genre. Yeah. Of Brazilian music that I grew up with, and what's the name of it? It's MPB. Okay. It's música brasil música popular brasileira, or the translation would be Brazilian pop music. Mm-hmm. Except that it's not pop, as we have pop pop rock yeah, in in, in, it's in the more US.
0: Traditional instruments, I'm guessing.
1: A um, lot of acoustics, um, guitar, but the quattro
0: the or no. Well, the four string? Yes. In Spanish, the quattro is? Yeah, no,
1: it's regular six strings. There's also a percussion, too. But it's a mix of what Brazil is that is a mix. Like, the way Brazil was colonized is, it wasn't a place to move in and grow your family. It was a place where Portugal came and just took the resources out. Mm -hmm. So people who came in, they would come most often single, and there was a lot of integration with the native uh, Indian Brazilians. Um, later on, slavery brought a lot of slaves from Africa, so there's that add on. Right. And when slavery was abolished, there's a lot of immigrants from Italy, and later on, German and Japan. So all of this, it's not like in the US that there was a lot of segregation, there's a lot of miscegenation. Oh. I don't know if that's a word important in English. It's where you mix all the races. Oh
0: right. Multiracial? So, something yes. like that, I guess.
1: Multiracial, yes. I, oh, let's go with that. <laughs> um, so the music and the culture and the food in Brazil, it's very influenced by all of that. Um, we have Italian food that has African flavors. So because there were immigrants that, you know, got together and the music, it, the mpb got very much traction in the 60s in the 70s when we had a military government and it was the dictatorship Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of oppression a lot of you know you can't even think there was a lot of artists going to political asylum um so all of the songs are more talking about that and that experience and i grew up listening to that so, to me, there's a lot of nostalgia mm-hmm. in it. Um, What's... And a, ahead. a lot of the singers, the composers, still alive in these two. And there's like a newer generation of it that comes. Uh, my favorite artist is Marisa Monti. I've gone to three shows of hers in the U.S. Mm-hmm. alone, and I got to meet her. And it's just like, if you look, the art, it's a poem, and it's so intricate, and they can tell so much about the history, the politics... And then just beautiful things about love and life. It's just so yummy (laughs) and inspiring.
0: So, Carol, thank you very much for spending time with me today. Um, I really appreciate your spirit as an artist and the things that you bring to the forefront um, in the art community. So thanks for your time. uh, And I look forward to what you're going to do in 2024.
1: Thank you so much.